0: Hey, everybody. Welcome to the Prep Life Podcast. This is your founder and CEO of Glam Girl Bikini, Amy Inger, today with my fabulous co-host.
1: Hey, guys. This is Chris Nicole, Glam Girl Bikini Coach and IFBB Bikini Pro.
0: So today we're going to be doing a QA and a and we just felt like it was time. We had a bunch of different mini topics that didn't facilitate a podcast. So if future episodes, if you ever have questions that you would like to shoot over to us, we always appreciate it. So please send us DMs. Uh, you can find us on Instagram at Life Podcast or at Glam Girl Bikini. We love to hear from you um, in terms of what you want to hear about. So uh, I know we've been doing this podcast for a long time. Uh, we've covered tons of topics because we've pretty much, fr- with the exception of, uh, one time this month, we've pretty much done <laughs> one every single week. And I, I think we've kind of made up for it. Cause I think in the beginning, I used to do like two a week, um, with mm-hmm. some interviews with pros. So, uh, there's definitely a lot of information out there still though. And things are always changing. There's always nuances to different topics. So, um, I mean, we even had somebody, I think send us some messages about, um, different cardio questions, which we have a full podcast on cardio. But there's always different things that are changing about, you know, our views. And um, there's not a one size fits all, as we do believe here at Glam Girl, that everyone is unique. And so depending on what season that person's in, depending what their career looks like, their goal, um, there's so many different variables as to what is right for them. So that kind of segues into the first question. And the question was, can you truly walk your way to lean air quotes? I'm making here. You can't see me. You can only hear me. (laughs) Um, And so we can start with that one. It's kind of like a two part question. So um, I wanted to, I wanted to talk about this one because I do put walking and incline walking on a treadmill into some people's programming uh, you mm-hmm. are an example of that. Yeah. And yep. a time when I will do that is especially when somebody, especially female athletes that are in the bikini division that are looking for symmetry and balance. Mm-hmm. And if their upper body is uh, slightly smaller than their lower body, they have a propensity to build the legs, but they're not quite that wellness category, right? Where we're unsymmetrical; mm-hmm. the legs are bigger than the upper body. Um, you know, that's a way that as a coach, that's one of the tools in the toolbox that I have that I can atrophy those muscles and kind of bring down the size in the legs mm-hmm. by doing the walking. So, um, I think where this kind of gained popularity, um, you know, I think people saw, uh, like Ronnie Coleman, um, you know, training for shows and, um, you know, this big jacked bodybuilder and all he was having <laughs> to do is, Walk on a treadmill to get lean. Um, you got to understand that he probably is on like 10 different compounds. <laughs> He's mm-hmm. on a lot of gear. Um, and so, especially as a natural athlete that's not taking those kind of supplements, it's going to be pretty difficult, especially if you're an ectomorph. So, you have a hard time, yes. you're a hard gainer, you have a hard time maintaining muscle. It is going to be really hard for you to hang on to your muscle. Um, Mm -hmm. I know we've given this comparison, but if you look at an endurance athlete versus somebody that is strength, power, quickness, short bursts, um, that are really good at jumping and things like that, you look at their, their glutes, like a volleyball player, you know, they have to jump, they have to explode and do short bursts. Um, they have like really nice glutes and hamstrings, Um, sprinters Mm -hmm. do because they have that explosive movement they have that type 2 fiber um, of muscle which is larger and it's more um, for the explosive movements so the endurance uh, athletes like triathletes and things like that they're they're very thin they have the red type 1 fiber muscles the endurance Mm -hmm. fiber where it's it's smaller in size so if you think about that in terms of how our bodies are, um, put together when we are just thinking about leaning out only and solely using treadmill and incline walking to get lean as a bikini competitor, it's not going to be a right fit for the majority of the population. Do you have any thoughts on that?
1: Yeah, I think, um, just understanding that, preserving muscle is very difficult and so um, when you're doing activity that is going to pull from those pools for um, energy like sure if you have a lot of weight to lose and your primary goal is weight loss getting some just constant movement is going to be beneficial in helping you like drop some weight so for people that just want to get started in a healthy lifestyle i think steady state walking is great when we're working with competitors and we're looking at recomp, which which we're bringing body fat down as low as we can and preserving as much muscle tissue as we can to maintain shape i think cardio choice does play a very specific role um and i would say a lot with the legs so i know like for me i came into competing with like pretty muscular legs, and I put muscle on my lower body pretty quickly in comparison to my upper body. So utilizing some like steady state cardio helped balance me out from like talked about to bottom, like Amy said. And I know I've had several clients that they started off uh, with a lot of like quad development and they were like border borderline wellness or wanted to transfer from wellness to bikini and that's what we did we gave them a a high step goal they were only doing steady state cardio and i've watched them drop like crazy inches in their legs and i've had a bikini competitor transition to wellness and giving her more of a hit style cardio has actually given her way more size in her legs way more shape she went from steady state to get her legs small in bikini to hit cardio. And now she has these like beautiful quad splits. And so, yes, I think like, especially with natural athletes, you have to be very specific in the modalities you use to get that low body fat and then, um, preserve as much muscle tissue. So, um, I don't know, I just kind of elaborated on what you were saying, but I, I would agree with that, that theory, that, um, philosophy.
0: Yeah, and I think a lot of people, um, just to play devil's advocate on the flip side of this, they say, okay, well, walking, you're less likely to get injured and things like that. Well, sure. the sure. amount of treadmill walking that you actually realistically have to do to drop that amount, uh, we know an example for you, you had to yep. do a lot of walking and you ended yep. up injuring your hip, so a lot mm-hmm. of people will say, oh, well, we don't want to do hip because there's so much recovery and things like that. But if the athlete is getting fed enough to support the recovery process and the hit should realistically be, you know, shorter, it is harder on the CNS. So you're not going to do it like yeah, every day. You're not going to do it for more than 30 minutes max. It's yep. going to be a short yep. amount of time, but it's mm-hmm. going to be extremely efficient at uh, preserving the muscle, but still um, burning and, I think from just like from that perspective so when we're looking at like the hours being put in I think that people with a career I was just talking to my one client um she is a very busy accountant and she's like man she's like I was talking to this competitor and she has like 30 minutes in the morning of steady state cardio and then 30 minutes in the evening and she's like I would not have time for that plus lifting and my job. She's like, Mm -hmm. thank you so much for, you know, giving me the short amount of cardio and, um, but you have to consider that it's a time suck to dedicate 90 minutes a day to walking. Not everybody Mm -hmm. has that kind of time. You know, some people like, especially people like in the medical community. I mean, I have nurses that work twelves and they hardly have time to get four, lifts in the week you know let alone fit in some like hours and hours of walking away (laughs) to lean so the you know you're still gonna have a susceptibility to injury in anything there's that risk so and Mm -hmm. especially when we're super lean we don't have a lot of padding we um, right we're more susceptible to getting injured anyway. so the trade-off is you know a shorter amount of time quicker burst of movements or a long, long period of time. I mean, those repetitive movements also can create um, you know, a repetitive movement injury as well. So yes. just something yeah. to think about. Um I know one of those questions too was why do we not recommend cycling to um so like a bike bike riding or like a spin class to bikini competitors. Mm-hmm. And it's definitely something that I use in my toolbox for figure fitness and wellness competitors as cardio, uh, modality Mm -hmm. cycling is really good for building the quads. Um, I know you've had past competitors that, um, had used to, they in a past life had been a cyclist. They have really big quads. And, um, unless you're sitting back in the saddle and kind of hovering over the seat, that's about the only time you're engaging the glutes. But where, you know in seated position you're, you're really isolating your quads on that um I mean what is your what are your thoughts on cycling
1: um so I also <laughs> I like a machine that's going to keep a steady pace for me because I'll get distracted and slow down so like from mm, okay. uh, elliptical for an example uh-huh. I'll be like, yeah, I get on the elliptical and I start pedaling and I'm doing this thing. And like literally uh-huh. like two minutes into it, I'm like dude, so distracted. But if I'm on the treadmill or a Stairmaster, <laughs> that's like, you know, it's it setting the go. pace yeah. for me.
0: Yeah.
1: I have no reason to slow down or or I it, I feel it a lot better. It's like the machine holds me accountable. So I think there's that aspect of well as well too of like letting, getting to the intensity you need to and having the machine help you get there.
0: That's a good point. I like that. Yes. Okay. So I know that we've had a lot of questions and it's been funny because I feel like it's come up a lot with um, contact requests, like people that apply for our team. Uh, when we do the initial phone consultation with them, they have been asking, you know, is there such a thing as like a, a good body fat percentage, like for a bikini competitor mm-hmm. to compete on stage? Are you looking for a certain percentage? And there's a couple reasons why that question is a loaded question big time mm. and the number one reason in my opinion is it's a visual sport um, for mm-hmm. th- the judges look at you and they look at your symmetry your conditioning your balance your aesthetics all of that whole package everybody wears their body fat so differently so yeah. I definitely think you can kind of say like oh okay there's a range but I've seen competitors that are like sub 10% and they're just Mm -hmm. perfect for their body. And then I see Mm -hmm. other competitors that, I mean, myself included, I've placed top five in so many national competitions and I've been at least 17 to 18% body fat, which is Mm -hmm. really high. Mm -hmm. I would say comparably, but I just wear my body fat like a little bit different. I don't know what it is about. I don't know if it's because I'm a little bit taller or what, but, um, So I think it's, I mean, there's a range, you know, if you look at those charts and scales, you look at like 13 to 15% as the athlete and then anything under Mm -hmm. 13% is supposedly like an amenorrhea or not as healthy, but some people maintain their periods at a really low percent of body fat and um, Mm -hmm. some people lose it, you know, if they get sub 16 or something like that. Um, So that's the first Reason why I think that it's kind of um, a loaded question, and then the other reason is just that there's so many different types of modalities to measure body fat, and they're all mm-hmm. so widely different in the measurement styles. So if you take a DEXA, which is supposedly like the gold standard, uh, and then compare it, and on the same day, I used to do this all the time. Like I would consistently do an in-body scan which is bioelectrical impedance. And then I would go and do a DEXA scan on the same day. It was always five to 7% lower on my in body. So I just kind of accounted for that variable. Um, If you have somebody doing skin calipers, you can have the person that's pinching, not Mm -hmm. be very good at it and mess it Mm -hmm. up. Um, There can be, you can be dehydrated and be doing a bioelectrical impedance or have worked out or had caffeine and it can throw your body fat way off with the equation. Mm -hmm. Um, I mean, we have the fit 3d scan here. I've had several people do the scan and then go straight to Dexa and they do use the Dexa chart for the fit 3d scan. So those have been pretty close. I don't know. What are your thoughts on that? I've been kind of taking over on that question.
1: So as far as like the body fat for a bikini competitor, like an actual percentage, um, So I think we have to think about what conditioning looks like for bikini. And like you said, it's not a specific number. It's not like drier is better. Where I think sometimes with other categories, you you can err on the side of like, okay, a little bit leaner or a little bit drier. Where bikini is like a very specific look. And it's a little bit ambiguous. And so it's like finding that look for that specific body. So there's not like too many concrete variables on what the the look is. Basically, I'm using air quotes like you, Amy. And um, and the body types are so different. So I've seen girls that will be like shredded up top and still soft on, the, on their lower half. And, you know, vice versa, girls that get super lean in their lower half and they look a little bit um softer on top and so it's a matter of like fine-tuning that physique to reach the right conditioning um and so i think it is hard to put like those body fat percentage numbers on there um and because of i think women's fat distribution as well too is very seems to be a little bit different um there's more variations I think than men just in my Mm -hmm. personal opinion so yeah there's a lot of moving parts to be able to like hone it into a specific body fat percentage I think the best thing to do is to use a similar system whether it's electrical impedance or Dexa or whatever and stay consistent with that and track it through your prep see how you look and use that method consistently moving forward to kind of find what is a, a good range for you where you're hitting that, you know, judge is telling you conditioning is on point. You know, you kind
0: of have to be within that body fat percent range.
1: Would you say that's a a, a way to go about it?
0: Definitely. I think you okay. just have to have consistency in the data, and you have to be judging apples to apples. So that brings up the yeah. other point that you need to have the same variables in terms of like time of day. Um, you know, food, water, mm-hmm. coffee, workout, all those things, those are all variables that can really heavily impact. So you need to stay as consistent as possible too, so that your data is accurate so that mm-hmm. when you do place, you know, first and you get the feedback, Hey, your conditioning is perfect. then you can kind of look back and say, okay, well, this is what I'm at. But if you're a first time competitor, you're not going to know that. So it's right. really, you're going to have to rely heavily if your first time competitor on your judge or your coach guiding you through what your muscle maturity level is, um, yes. two can have a big impact on how you wear your, your fat. So like if you have more muscle, mm-hmm. but you have the same amount of fat than another person, you can sometimes look leaner because mm-hmm. you have more uh, density. Um, so right. you don't have to be as conditioned sometimes if you have more muscle than the other person, whereas somebody yeah. with less muscle tends to need to get like leaner. And like you said, um, there's been times where I've had competitors say that they were, you know, the judges say they were too hard or too lean. So they were more like figure or women's physique because you get the feathered glutes and the mm-hmm. striations and things like that. And we don't want that in bikini. So,
1: Yeah. Absolutely. Don't be flexing up there. That, like, <laughs> <laughs> I see girls doing that. Don't flex. That doesn't help your conditioning.
0: Yes. Okay. So let's talk about the body set point because this question is asking, you know, is there such a thing as a body set point? And I think that in this situation, we tend to get stuck at a certain weight or there's a certain weight that we kind of You know, maybe we go, like, way over, and we've gained, like, a bunch of weight, and then we get to a certain point where our weight loss stalls, and we kind Mm -hmm. of hit that, like, traditional weight that we've always been. And I think that a lot of times we create these set points by just getting to a point of homeostasis, so it's not necessarily, like, a physiological thing, like, Chris's set point is... Like this exact weight. Yep. No, it's more in terms of what habits are you consistently doing in terms of movement, in terms of eating when you get comfortable and you stop like pushing yourself to uncom, disc- you know, like an uncomfortable situation in a deficit mm-hmm. or like intensity in your workout or movement. I think we psychologically kind of just hit that set point where we, kind of level out and we get kind mm-hmm. of stuck there um and really i think what's just happening is we we kind of find that maintenance point and our bodies are comfortable so we get quote unquote like stuck there a little bit
1: yeah so i definitely know everyone experiences the plateaus right where we we're getting momentum that we're stuck and i also think um to correlate that, like, because you've there's also the theory of like you've lived at this weight with this amount of body fat for so long that that's what your body is remembering and used to, and where you're comfortable. Um, and I don't necessarily have a good professional opinion on on that type of theory, but I do think that Amy is bringing up a very valuable point in that. There is a psychological component when it comes to your comfortability and and like where your weight and your body fat is sitting um, to where like you can live at, at that point that point and not feel like you have to like gain or, or change it. Um, so, yeah, I haven't like come across tons of evidence that's saying like everybody has like this natural innate biological subpoint. point um i do think we're human beings that we can be um like there's a lot that we can manipulate and change and the body is like a a crazy experiment where you can do so much with that and but i do think the mental piece is a big part of like where you're comfortable what weight you're sitting at and um i don't know i don't know if this is making any sense but just i think the the, uh, making, uh, the psychological part, um, a point of like analyzing this stuff. Like... Sorry. My dog is like crying in the background. He's distracting me.
0: <laughs> yeah. So... Diego
1: needs to be on the podcast.
0: <laughs> he always has to get his time. Yeah. Yeah. I think, I think a lot of us will kind of follow that Pareto principle where we do like the 80, 20, And it kind of averages out to not making much change. And especially in our world where we're trying to make the deficit as slight as possible. So we're maintaining the most amount of muscle so we can Mm -hmm. diet the, you know, we're trying to give like the least amount of cardio, the most amount of food and still maintain a slight deficit so that we can lose body fat, but maintain our muscle. Um, And so I think where that comes into play is just really just back to that exceptional choices make exceptional you know you you become an exceptional body when you can make those elite choices that's when you truly mm-hmm. are the elite athlete and so we just have to really take kind of like a step back and think you know why is it that i'm actually stuck what what are some things that i can actually do to improve to to make this so that i am seeing progress in a different way and just sure, I mean, that's again where coach comes in, where they can be that objective eye and say, you know, let's talk about what you're doing now and try to right. pick out those key points that maybe we can slightly tweak to make a huge difference to get us past that. Because there are like little things, and I know we have a podcast on getting through plateaus, but mm-hmm. there's definitely a difference, and I think it's a psychological shift that. We have to be kind of real with ourselves, and when we do get stuck, we have to sit back and analyze, like, okay, there is something that I can do to change this. There always is. Now, whether or not you're going to be comfortable doing that is a different story, but right, but there's always a way that you can make improvements and go past that set point if you really want it that badly. It's just you may have to be that exceptional <laughs> choice maker. Sure. Yeah, I think that's a really valid point of getting uncomfortable. Okay, so what is junk volume, and can a competitor can uh, cannot talk? Uh, can a competitor <laughs> hinder the results by doing it? So, junk volume is basically junk worth nothing. So it's volume <laughs> as in repetitions, sets the amount of exercise you're doing is the volume and junk, the reps and sets that are worth nothing. So in my opinion, the way that we can get to the junk volume or explain that are, there's several different ways that you can be doing junk volume and it's not really helping your hypertrophy goals. So the first one would be in your sets and I think there's different muscle groups that can handle a little bit more volume, such as like the glutes and the back. Um, But then you take like the biceps um, or the pecs or something like that, and they can't Mm -hmm. handle as much volume. So keeping that in mind, when we think of, let's say you're doing biceps and you do six sets in one day of bicep exercises and you do them to failure. So, when we're like kind of hitting that hypertrophy goal, we want to make sure that we have about three reps left in the tank if we're actually going to failure to achieve hypertrophy. So if we're doing six solid, two failure reps, we're going to have to, you know, take some splits. And if we really want to grow our biceps, which I don't know why you would want to do that as a bikini competitor. Yeah, big biceps. <laughs> if you're a bodybuilder, a men's bodybuilder, you probably want that peak, right? So You're going to do a split on another day in the week, you know, take some days off, let that muscle rest recover. And then you're going to maybe do six to failure. And so a total of 12 sets would be perfect. That would be optimal for that muscle group. And it would be enough recovery time for them to grow, recover, and for you to maximize your time um, and not having any of those sets be quote unquote junk volume. Now, if you're talking like glutes, you could probably do 10 to 12 sets within that day uh, to failure. And, um, it's not going to be as detrimental as if you were trying to do 12 on the bicep curls, of some variation. So as far as the, the junk there, that piece, uh, it can be explained in that way in the sets, but then it can also be explained in your repetitions. So If you take Mm -hmm. an inexperienced lifter that's not using a ton of intensity in their workout and they're just kind of going through the motions, not using great form, kind of flinging the weights around, um, Mm -hmm. not being intentional about like mind muscle contraction. A lot of those repetitions can be junk volume that could be defined that way. Um, another way that you can get junk volume is pretty much anything past 30 reps Uh, for the most part Mm -hmm. is going to be junk volume because once you get upwards of like 40 and 50 reps, it's an extremely hard thing to recover from. So the turnaround time, uh, is very difficult. So just like the recovery aspect makes it hard to bounce back. Um, Mm -hmm. so that's kind of my explanation of junk volume. Do you have anything to add that I missed on that?
1: Yeah. So I think when we're talking about failure too, um, like kind of how you had mentioned, Amy, it's not this, you don't necessarily have to think of it as like, I'm hitting failure because I literally can't move this weight anymore. Um, failure, technical failure, I think is more applicable to a lot of us in bodybuilding because we're trying to isolate a certain muscle group for that hypertrophy purpose, like for you know for bikini competitors we're always trying to get bigger shoulders and bigger glutes and not overemphasize the buys tries too much quad so we're tr- very we're trying to hone in on a muscle group and making sure that like for example if i'm doing hip thrusts and i'm getting 10 good reps in where my glutes are activating but now i'm hitting like 11th 12th rep and it's transfer all of that power is transferring into my hamstrings because my glutes are fatigued and for me personally I'm not trying to build my hamstrings any bigger um those those volumes where it's transferring away from my glutes the area that I'm trying to hit is quote-unquote considered junk volume Um, not necessarily because I can't lift the barbell off the floor anymore does that did I explain that does that make sense okay
0: yeah. And I could use that same example um, with my man traps. <laughs> yeah, um, <your> man traps. <laughs> yeah. So there's only a certain amount of weight in some exercises that my shoulders, my deltoids can handle. And so if I try to push too heavy of weight, then it starts to move into my traps. Um, if mm-hmm. I start to do too many reps at a certain weight as well, uh, you know, it moves away from my delts to my traps. So you kind of have to be aware of those things too. That's another way that Uh, junk volume it's not it's not really serving you for the purpose that it's supposed to so do you um just piggybacking off of that do you have a opinion on like burnout sets
1: because I know some like trainers and stuff will put burnout sets at the very end of
0: the workout
1: um and it's usually like a layer weight but um in your professional opinion
0: what what are your what's your stance on that I think that you need to just pick that weight in that sweet spot that's going to get you to like no higher than obviously 30, uh, then you're going to mm, have diminishing yeah. returns on that. Sure. Um, I mean, for me, I try to hit around 15 to 20 on that burnout set, sure. but you need to pick the appropriate weight. If you can do a lot more than that, then you probably didn't pick the right weight because mm. you should only have three reps left in the tank afterwards. Sure. You know? Sure. So. Yeah you just have to make sure that you're calculating for your body what that weight is so that it's appropriate. So it's pushing you for growth, but it's also not creating junk volume. <laughs> sure. Yeah. It makes sense. Okay. Well that's about 30 minutes there. Um, we actually didn't even get to all of our questions, but wow. if you would like your unicorn prep, you can go to glamgirlbikini.com and hit the get started button and as I mentioned at the beginning of the podcast, we are found on Instagram at Prep Life Podcast and at Glam Girl Bikini. So send us some more questions and we sure do appreciate it. Anytime that you can rate or review the podcast, it just helps other people to find us. And we do this podcast because we want to create value for other people that are passionate about the sport of bodybuilding and we want to pa- pay that forward. So. Uh, Your only cost for this, since we are ad-free, is just to pass that on to a friend, share it with somebody, tag us on your story. We would really, really appreciate it. This is your founder and CEO, Amy Inger of Glam Girl Bikini, signing off with my fabulous co-host.
1: And this is Chris Nicole, Glam Girl Bikini Coach and IFBB Bikini Pro. Thanks for listening, guys.